UCB Life Issues. Now, fitness and faith. We can often separate those two. One is physical and one is spiritual, right? But what if they are inextricably linked? What has God got to do with pursuing a healthy life? Well, here to explore in this week's Life Issues podcast is Rosemary Connolly, CBE and one of the UK's most successful diet and fitness experts with 50 years experience in helping people lose weight and get fitter. Welcome along to the Life Issues podcast, Rosemary. Thank you, Helen. It's a real privilege to be here. Now, I'm quite excited about this conversation uh, because I grew up doing your fitness videos as a family. Uh, we'd get in the living room and my parents still do, actually. They've got it on VHS still. Many of us will be aware of your reputation and your advocacy around healthy living. But it might come as a surprise to hear that you haven't always had a healthy relationship with food and your weight. Uh, when did you first become aware of your weight? Well, it's quite an interesting story, actually, because I need to sort of preface that by saying that as a child, I was a very sickly child. And um, my problem was that I didn't put enough weight on. And my parents were told that I probably wouldn't live beyond 10 years old. Um, and so weight was just never an issue for me. It didn't even come into the conversation. Um, and it was when I went for a medical when I was about 18. Uh, I, I don't know why I went for a medical, but I did. Um, and the doctor went out of the room. And when he, he's gone for ages and I was so bored, I had looked to see what he'd written. And he'd written on his note that notes that I was well covered. And to me as an 18 year, 18 year old, that just said I was fat. Well, when you're 18, that is not something you want to hear. Mm. And from that moment on, I became conscious of my weight. And as a result of that, I really struggled. And I was, I was probably weighing eight and a half stone at five foot two at that point. And I went in the end, cut a long story short, I, my maximum weight I ever reached was about 10 and a half stone. Um, and that was, I hated being overweight. And I had such a bad relationship with food that I would, these days, it would be considered to be an eating disorder. I, I wasn't bulimic or, and I wasn't anorexic, but I, I would binge eat. I would starve myself. And I hated being in that cycle of self-destruction. But looking back, at the time you don't know it, but at the time I realised that it was because I was in an unhappy marriage. Uh, the marriage wasn't working um, and uh, we, we, we were married for 13 years So, it, it, and we had a wonderful daughter. Um, and very sadly, my first husband passed away about six years ago, um, almost seven years ago, actually. And uh, but, you know, the very fact that we had um, Dawn, my, my daughter, is just, you know, such a blessing. And one has to look at one's life in these circumstances, and realise that actually that first marriage was meant to be. Um, and we stayed friends right up until uh, Phil very sadly passed away in 2015. Um, and if you're going to have to go through those difficulties, please stay on good terms. It makes life so much better for everybody around. 
And uh, we, we have to, you know, we really have to sort of try to learn that. Mm. And, and I wasn't a Christian at that time. I mean, I was brought up as a Christian through, you know, went to church as a child and all that stuff, Sunday school, um, got even confirmed. But it, Christianity didn't mean that much to me at that stage. But that's where I had the problem with, um, with dieting. And then I've actually found I worked out my own philosophy for losing weight. And instead of in, back in the day, a doctor would give you a diet sheet for a thousand calories a day. Well, it just wasn't enough. And so I, that's part of the reason why I just kept gaining rather than losing. Um, and then I worked out my own and worked on a base of 1400 calories a day. I managed to lose all my weight. And I was so fascinated by the subject I decided to start my own swimming club in my local village. Um, and that was uh, with an investment of eight pounds. I launched in the local village uh, hall, uh, 30 posters and 29 people came on that first night and it just flew. And that was the beginning of my career in diet and fitness. Tell us a bit about your journey of faith. In 1986, when I was at an absolute lowest of low ebbs, I found myself in hospital. I was with another in another relationship by this time, um, and that had broken up. And I had a gallstone problem, and I, I was going to. I'd lost my. I was going to lose my job. I was going to lose my company car, and I was going to have to sell the house. And all of this it was a disaster. When suddenly. Um, I found while I was in hospital, I found an investment for a book called Powerful Living. And um, if I wanted to have a, um, a new life and find Powerful Living through a personal relationship with God, then to send for this free book, which is what I did. And it was promoted by Cliff Richard and Lord Tony Pandey and uh, Gerald Williams, the tennis commentator. So I sent for my book and the day that it arrived, I read it. And this book was written just for me. And, uh, and that night uh, I went, I got to, I think it was page 60 in it. And there was a prayer there that basically I could invite Jesus into my life. And I knelt at the side of my bed and I meant every single word of that prayer. And I felt completely and utterly washed through. And it was, there were no flashing lights or no bangs or claps of thunder but I felt brand new and I got back into bed feeling like I was a new person, that all my sins had been forgiven and I was now going to start on a new adventure. And I felt God say to me, I'm now the chairman of your life. Just follow me and I will show you where to go. Wow. So jumping back a little bit then, I wanted to explore what happened then in your life in 1986 and how that changed what how you lived out your vision, your, your life's aims. But when did you start to realise that you wanted to work in this area of healthy living and fitness? Uh, that started, so I got, first got married in 68, and I suppose my weight issue started from then. Well, I was 21 when I got married, that's right. So I'd had three years of battling a bit after seeing the doctor's my well-covered comment. Um, and, and then by the time I got married, uh, I was sort of a bit up and down with my weight. And then I was working as a secretary. And as long as I answered the phone and typed one or two letters a day, the rest of the time was my own. And so that's when I learned all about the subject of it. Right. And so having had a really bad relationship with foods and looking, I mean, binging, looking in the mirror and saying, you big fat pig, and hating myself before I knew where I was, I was downstairs again, having three more slices of toast 
laden with butter and marmalade. Um, I really was in a bad in a bad way. But suddenly, I think maybe because I sort of did this first class and I felt I wanted to share the knowledge that I'd learned, and I could see that it was changing the lives of the women who came to my classes. And it was almost like I'd found my vocation. Um, and, and I was happy to stand up in front of them and talk to them every week. And somehow it gave me confidence, which I hadn't had up to that point. And suddenly, and then it was, I just grew. Then by the time I got to 1986, when it was my conversion to become a Christian and I felt God was in charge, then the world just changed because while I was in hospital uh, with my gallstones, which they, they said, yes, you've got gallstones, we'll take your gallbladder out. And I said, well, you, you can't because they, they, they would say it'd be a 10-week um, recovery period, which it wasn't this before keyhole surgery. Uh, and, and I said, well, you can't because I'm in the, in the middle of closing down a business. Um, and what, what are the other options? They said, oh, we're really, really grumpy surgeon. <laughs> he said, well, you've got to eat a really low-fat diet. I said, okay, that's what I'll do. And so I was given a low-fat diet, and I suddenly learned about low-fat eating. And I lost about six pounds. That was all, six, seven pounds. But it all went off my previously rather voluptuous hips and thighs. And when people could see what the transformation in my shape, they were asking my, my classes, well, I carried on my classes after they closed nationally. Um, they said, you know, please can we do what you're doing? And so that's what I, and that's the, was the beginning of the hip and thigh diet, which came out in 88 wow. and became an international bestseller. And this is, it, it's really weird where a, a medical situation suddenly coordinates with a Christian you know, my, my conversion, becoming a Christian, making that, taking that step of faith where I was putting God in charge of my life. That if I'd known on that day when I prayed that prayer that God had such an exciting life ahead of me, I would be scared to death. But he was there and we just carried on. It was like riding a tidal wave but he just held me on the surfboard and held my hand and kept me up. And we went through this incredible adventure. It was extraordinary. So that's interesting because we don't often associate fitness and faith, thinking about what God thinks about how we look or our healthy living. So in your faith journey then, what have you learned about what the Bible says about fitness and physical health? I mean, does God care about it? I think God cares about what's going on in our heart and in our head. So, I mean, first of all, in um, in the Bible, they don't really need to talk about um, weight and fitness because they were walking from one town to another. And if they were very fortunate, they might be on a donkey. Um, and so it, it just didn't, and they didn't have supermarkets open 24-7 and they didn't have motor cars. And so all of, you know, sort of, it was almost irrelevant then. Um, and eating healthy was, it wasn't about that. It was about eating to survive. Um, and so here we are in a, in a time and a land of plenty. Um, and we, we don't know we're born. And so as soon as you get, you know, a lot of, of it available to you, then sadly we don't handle it so well. But when I said it's about your 
heart and your head. God really doesn't like it if we are trying to lose weight because just to make us look good uh, or to spend hours in front of the mirror to uh, or, or have any sort of cosmetic procedures or whatever to make us look different or better or younger or whatever, because that's not who God made when he made you. Uh, but he does want us to be healthy, just as he wants us to have a healthy Christian life, if we are a Christian, um, and, and to be live longer and live healthier and live happier. That's what we should be doing. Mm. Um, and if we've got the right attitude to healthy eating and exercise, then God is happy. I am absolutely convinced of that. And, and one of the latest revelations that I've had of, of probably the last 18 months is that we live next door to a wood, which is we live in the countryside and, and uh, we're very fortunate that we have this wood right next to it. Um, and for the last 18 months or so, I have gone into this wood and take our dogs. It used to be three dogs. So it's gone down to one now, sadly. They've all got rather old. Um, and I go for my 30-minute walk every morning. And it is, my, it is my prayer walk, and I pray out loud for those 30 minutes. And I have done that for those every day that I physically could do it. Uh, and it is a joy to do. And it has drawn me so close to God. It's been incredible because I can mouth off to him if I'm cross about something. Um, I can ask him for his guidance. I can sort of share my views and thoughts. I can pray for people. Um, I can ask for healing for people. I can ask him to bless my family. I can ask him to give me guidance with this or that or the other. And I have learned so much over the last 18 months of doing that. And I can just give you an example, if I may. Yes, please. And this year, I was asked to, uh, by the, I'm, I'm a deputy lieutenant of Leicestershire, which sounds terribly, terribly posh, but actually there's about 25 deputies at any one time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a Lord Lieutenant is the, uh, is the monarch's um, representative in a county. So it was the Queen, and now it is uh, King Charles III. And the deputies are there to basically assist when called upon to stand in for the Lord Lieutenant and do various other things. So anyway, the Lord Lieutenant in, in our county is somebody called Mike Poor, and he called upon me and one of the other deputy lieutenants who uh, is a, was a retired presenter from Radio Leicester to basically organise an event to celebrate the late Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Um, and so we we set about it and we did it um, and it was incredible. We called it Dance for the Queen and it was extraordinary how everything just fell into place. People would come from nowhere and say, oh, I'm, I'm an event uh, um, organiser. I'll just, I'll come into, you know, I'll do it. I'll, I'll manage it on the night. Somebody else would come and say, I'm a, I'm a stage manager. I'll do it. I'll do it on the night. We had no budget. And we put on this event in the centre of Leicester and we had between two and three thousand people come to it. It's all free. And it was the most fantastic night. And God just provided open doors and enabled it all just to happen. And then the next thing was my my autobiography, which had been six years in the writing. Um, and I was now ready for it to be published. And I did, it had gone to a couple of of um, secular 
publishers, but they turned it down probably because I speak about my faith in it. Not overtly, I wrote it for the secular market, but but I had to talk about my faith because it's so important to me. Um, and then I said to um, my agent, look, let's, let's send it to Christian publishers and SPCK, the biggest one. So, you know, send it to them first. And they came back within two weeks. They absolutely love it. Definitely would love it. And all of that journey, I was praying in the morning saying, Lord, you know, I really hope I can get this book published. Um, and I, But I leave it to you as to where it should go. I am completely in your hands. And it became, and it's been published and it's doing really well. I'm really, really happy with it. I'm thrilled with it. And then the third thing was that every year, I'm patient of a charity called Steps Conductive Education Centre, which helps children with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome and other conditions from naught to five years old. And I always organise a big event fundraiser um, in the autumn, which normally raises 50, 60, 70,000 pounds for them. So it's massive. We only need only need to raise 220,000 pounds a year, but we do need to do that. We don't get any funding from, uh, from any government sources. And so I thought, right, we've had two years of the pandemic. We can't, we couldn't have done it then. So I'll do it this year in sort of probably November. Um, and it's amazing how all the doors slammed shut. They, the normal place where we uh, gave us the venue and they didn't charge us corkish for the wine that was given to us, wants to uh, charge us and an ask exorbitant fees for the corkage. The main sponsor, Next, uh, they normally paid uh, for the, all the food and what have you. No, this year, when from now on, they're not doing any more sponsorship. So I just said, this is, this is not meant to be. Having witnessed where God is in it, and he absolutely makes it happen, to then have doors slammed in your face, I thought, it's not right, not, not happening. And would you believe it? A company locally did a, a sponsored uh, bike ride. They raised almost £40,000. And then somebody, bless their cotton socks, died and left us 20000 have no idea who it was. I mean, we know who the name, but we don't know what the connection wow. is. And so, in effect, God provided. Mm. It's just incredible. So, having developed this faith that I feel has grown by doing my walking prayer every morning has just been phenomenal. I've used a prayer list for the last, I don't know, 15 years. Well, that's interesting, actually, because something I love to do, Rosemary, is when I'm out on a run, I love listening to podcasts and music. Uh, but every now and again, I get a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. And I just think, right, no, no headphones in this run. And I pray, but I find it hard to keep my thoughts on track. So I use the alphabet and I go through the alphabet and I just think of the first person whose name begins with that letter, I pray for. And then when I get to the difficult letters, I get a bit creative. But uh, And it's, I like you, uh, th- my faith has grown. I found joy. I enjoy the run, sometimes even more than when I'm listening to music or whatever. But it's actually, I get back and I'm more refreshed than I was without doing that. So there is something about this fitness and faith that is uh, yeah, we probably don't talk enough about. So I'm glad you mentioned that and, and th- what it's done for your life. You are listening to the Life Issues podcast on UCB. My guest uh, this week to explore fitness and faith is Rosemary Conley, CBE, and one of the UK's most successful diet and fitness experts. Rosemary, I want to pick up on something you mentioned, and that's the language we use, particularly around food and fitness 
I think of the word diet, for example. Uh, you know, we often associate that word with restricting ourselves, but actually it's the opposite. It's what we consume. So in your journey of working in this field, how does the way we talk about fitness, food, healthy living affect how we feel and how we, you know, respond to this? It matters enormously. Um, and, you know, you hear of announcements about different slimming clubs changing their names because they don't want to have certain words incorporated in them. The word diet means what you eat, but it's become the sort of the, the diet, the word, I should say, to explain what you do if you want to lose weight. You go on a diet. It's a, it's a prison sentence for a period, it's a period of time. And in that prison sentence, you will uh, lose weight um, and you will, if you do exercise, you'll get fitter. Um, and the key really is not to go in the prison sentence route, but to actually think it's, it's very much a lifestyle route. And that if I, I would love to have had a pound for every time somebody wrote to me and said, your, your diet, your eating plan, your, whatever it is you want to call it, uh, is not a diet. It's a way of life. Mm. Um, and they, may, they lose their weight, they maintain their weight, and they maintain their weight from life. Now, I can't say everybody does that, but a huge, amount, a huge number of people do. Um, and it is about re-educating the way you think and you eat. Um, and one of the problems I think we have now is that there's such a vast variety of food to choose from. We, we live in a fast-track world where we don't have the time to cook creatively, or, you know, I mean, or you haven't got the inclination because you've never been taught. Um, and you end up going and buying a, either a ready meal or you go out dining and that sort of thing. I mean, I'd like to think one of the benefits with the upsides of lockdown uh, was the fact that people couldn't go out to restaurants as much. I'm not against restaurants. Please don't think that I am. But I mean, when I was in my teens, early 20s, you, you only went to you know, a Bernie Inn or somewhere for your birthday or for Christmas or engagement when you'd have, your, you know, you, you, either a chicken in the basket, which you might have in the pub, or, or you'd have, uh, you know, your steak and onion rings and chips and, and your prawn cocktail for a starter and, and, and a um, black forest gatto for your pudding. Um, I mean, it was, it was a really big treat, mm. Whereas now people would think about going out as a, just as a matter of habit because, well, we've got to eat. Mm. Mm. So I think it's really sad, it, you know, when it, when it happens like it that. It is. It's difficult, isn't it? I know there's also this anxiety of choice that's growing as well, where we kind of feel overwhelmed by the amount of variety and choices we have, particularly when it comes to food, when we go to the supermarket and eating out and things. But um, I want to stick with the words. You talked about how you used to speak really not very nice things about yourself, Rosemary. And I know when you were going through a difficult time around how you felt about yourself and your weight. And I know I've also had this. I, I went through a, a battle with a, an eating disorder and I used to, I mean, I used to curse myself, Rosemary, if I'm honest. And I, I think looking back, I used to do it as a bit of a false self-preservation. Like if I re rejected myself, then if somebody else does, it doesn't matter. I'm already, I've already done it. But talk to us about how you've overcome that and, and, and the power, though, of the words that we speak about ourselves. We can all do it, right? We can, even if we're just doing it in like, oh, I'm so stupid. You know, there's a real power that happens in, in the way we speak about ourselves. We all go through this and we all have this and we, it, you know, it's turned all kinds of different things 
You can say it's the monkey on your shoulder. You can say it's, it's the enemy having a go at us. It's all kinds of different things that it happens to us. But at the end of the day, we're human. And if we thought we were brilliant at everything, that'd be, that would be as bad as, as having doubts about ourselves. Um, and it's one of those things where we go through phases in our life. And if there's one thing that my, my book, um, Through Thick and Thin, describes, it's how life throws some bumps in the road at you. And it's how you cope with those. And going back to your, you know, what you were saying about how we treat ourselves sometimes. Well, these days, sadly, it's become even worse because you hear about self-harming, you hear about people, you know, taking their own lives. And and it's so, so sad. And, and we should, we must ask for help and, and see if there's somebody who can find you support and so on. I mean, I'm not an expert in this subject, and so I can't pretend no. to, be, to have the answers. But um, I'm aware, well, yeah, I'm aware. I, I don't want to make you feel like you've got to respond to this in any kind of expert way. I suppose it's just from what you shared in your life and the way you were speaking. And I, I think for me too... I've learned that through starting to speak out truth, which we learn about through God's word, that, you know, the journey of faith you've been on, that can change something in us that uh, starts by declaration. And I think we live in a society that tells us, well, it's just how I feel. You know, you just deal with it. Where actually I've learned, no, start by speaking out those words. So for example, I am enough. I am beautiful. I am wonderfully created. I might not feel it, but I'm going to believe it first. So I suppose on that flip side of this question is, you know, the power of words that we can use when we're speaking out what God says about us have the power yeah. to change our lives. Now, without a doubt, it does. And, and I felt when... Particularly, when I've always felt strangely, I've always believed in myself. And I was talking to my husband a while back, and, and he was, it was when, before the book came out uh, and so on. And, and he was saying, you know, you, you went through all this stuff or your asthma and, and so on. And I, I said, how did you have the sort of um, guts to be able to sort of keep fighting? And I said, I've always believed in myself. And he said, that is unbelievable that, you, that you've always felt that because that is so special that, you, you know, and I don't know where that's come from. You know, we're all made differently, but somehow God gave us certain gifts. And, and if, from my point of view, I've, I've always tried, I, I'm a, you know, I work hard. I'm, I'm very straight in my dealings and so on. I've always been very honourable in everything that I've done, um, which at least tried to be. Um, and, and I feel that it's really, you have, to, you have to come to terms with yourself. You're never going to be the most beautiful. You're never going to be the slimmest. You're never going to be the, the most wealthy, the most whatever it is that you stupidly think that you might be. <laughs> might want to be when in fact we don't we don't want that we don't want that because uh, all of those things come with come with baggage <laughs> um, but it's much more it's so much better to be comfy with yourself mm. and accept yourself as you are and be nice to people mm. you know I, I there is a real strength in being nice mm. to other people and if you're nice to other people, other people will be nice to you. And I mean, I go shopping and I'm, I've got a smile on my face and there's, you know, people smile back at me. And, and if I see somebody, I say, I'm 
just love your jacket. It looks fab on you. You know, just sort of giving out some positive vibes is such, or did you even say, isn't this a beautiful day? You know, let's spread happiness. And isn't it amazing the way God's made us that when we do that, we gain as well. So it's like when you give, <laughs> you gain. And uh, I know, and actually I must share a little bit. My sister was sharing the other day about, we were talking with um, my sister-in-law about the frustration she finds if she's nice to someone, if she says that, like you say, oh, that's a nice jacket or you say hello. And the response you get isn't what you're hoping for. Not a thank you or a hello, but just a grunt or they ignore you. Well, my sister wisely encouraged my sister-in-law that, well, actually, they're the moments where keep going with it because otherwise you're taking on their negativity. You're almost receiving that negativity they're giving you. So actually, they're the moments to keep it going with it. Put up your, your positive shield or such and uh, and know that you won't always get the response that you want, but you can be the one to share it. And you don't know how, what their life is at the moment. They might be having a really, really hard day. Exactly. That is spot on. Uh, and also, you might have been the only person to have paid a compliment to that person for the last five years. And they don't know how to handle it. But they won't forget it. There you go. And then over time, they might, you know, somebody else somewhere says, well, I really like you in that. And think, oh, come, do you know, you're the second person that said that to me. <laughs> so good. Um, you know, and, and I think you'd, you're absolutely spot on by saying you really don't know what's going on in their lives. Mm. And so don't try and be nice to me because I'm not being very nice to anybody today because something's really annoyed me. Yeah, that's it. And you may never know the impact you have, but God does. And I'm sure he'll tell you when you meet him. Uh, you are listening to the Life Issues podcast with my guest, Rosemary Connolly, CBE, one of the UK's most successful diet and fitness experts with 50 years experience and has written this new book, uh, sharing her story, all that wisdom and knowledge she's grown over the years. The book's called Through Thick and Thin. Now, Rosemary... I'm aware that life has changed a lot in the last 50 years since you began your work in helping people to live healthy lives. And I wonder if you could just share what significant shifts you've seen in the diet and fitness world. In the last 50 years, the whole world has changed beyond recognition. Um, food and fitness type of area is dramatic. And the, the sort of, to myself, when I first became aware of my weight and what have you, people didn't even talk about weight really because we were post, I was a post-war baby. Um, we did, there wasn't that much food around. Um, people were still walking everywhere and people didn't have much money and you were just sort of naturally fit by the fact you walked two miles to work. And then, of course, by the time I sort of leap forward to 1988 when my hip and thigh diet came out, which at the time was huge. I mean, it went on to sell two million copies. But that book today would, is awful. Um, it's not awful because of what it was basically saying, eat low fat. That's absolutely valid. But back then, there were hardly any low fat foods. Shops were not open 24-7. Low fat foods now are available in their billions um, and you can, but the problem now is that the manufacturers have created low fat foods that have got no goodness in just to keep them low fat. And they've often got lots of sugar in. And so in effect, you're eating a load of chemicals and that's completely defeats the object of what my original book was trying to teach. 
I was trying to teach, you know, don't have, um, you know, to cut off, don't have the, chick, the, the skin off the chicken. And 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 I can hear people grow and think, oh, that's the best bit. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, don't have butter on your bread and so on, because, you know, too much fat on, in your life is going to make you fatter. And if you want to lose weight, you want to get rid of the food. This is the highest calorific value in um, fat is twice the number of calories of protein or carbohydrates. So protein, meat, fish, eggs, cheese, um, and, and carbs, obviously bread, pasta, rice, cereal, um, potatoes. And so those are four grams, uh, four calories per gram, whereas fat is nine calories per gram. And you don't have fat on its own usually, but you would have it on top of one of the others. So if you can get rid of that layer, then it wasn't surprising that people lost weight. And miraculously, people who had big big hips hips and thighs bought the book and they lost weight off their hips and thighs. And then, you know, I I adopted the same principles of the diet and, and called it the flat stomach plan some years later. And people who had a big tummy, it worked the same for them getting rid of their tummy. Um, you can't spot reduce, and it can't, I've never pretended that you can. But if you, you know, a low-fat diet definitely helps to trim off the fat off your body. And so it really is a question of realizing today that we now have to make an effort to do exercise. We actually have to go for a walk because we're not probably going to walk to work. If you do, brilliant, but we're probably not. Um, and you, you need to think about what other exercises we need to do. And as, as adults, we need to do strength work as well as aerobic work. So you're walking, jogging, cycling, swimming, they're all aerobic work. But your strength work is what we would have done by working so hard all 20, 50 years ago. We would have been, you know, doing the washing, putting it through a mangle. Um, and you know, wringing it out, we didn't have things like tumble dryers and and so on, mm. uh, and we didn't have car washes that you could go through and and sort of spend three pounds and get your car washed. Uh, you ha- you washed it yourself if you were fortunate enough to have a car, mm. and it was that that kind of sort of seismic change. And then of course here we are, you know, you and I are talk- talking on on Zoom in our respective places. Um, and life has become, the world has become smaller while it's become bigger. It's weird. And so there are now people living at home, working at home, obviously living at home, but working at home, hardly moving because they can work at home. And of course, by having the pandemic um, and the lockdown over those two years for pretty much of it, we've learned to live a whole different style of life. Mm. And I don't think that's good, personally, because I think we don't move all the things that we used to do just by the sociability, going to work, going to the office. All of those things have changed. And I think it's to our cost, personally. And I think we have to make the effort to go and get those stimulations elsewhere. That's why I still take my classes on a Monday night, which I've been taking for 50 years. And many of my people who are there have been coming for over 40 years. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Rosemary, because I know as we get older, it can feel more challenging to stay active. Um, so what is your advice for us on how we prioritise fitness? I mean, I don't even like using that word. Let's say active, staying active. How do we really work to prioritise that 
fitness, that activity that you've talked about intentionally throughout the whole of our lives. And I know that I say that with such a conviction that God wants us to have a fulfilled life every single year we're alive, you know, however long that is. I think that the we now have a better means of understanding of what we actually need. We know that I think more than ever, we want to be healthy. And being healthy means that we should be at a, a, a sensible weight, that we should be active, more active. Um, and then if you dig a little bit deeper, you find out, you, you know, you need to do some work for your heart and lungs. You need to do some work for your muscles, quite separate types of exercise. And that was actually behind the creation of our, of, uh, it's a video-based website that I've created. It's all free. It's my sort of gift back to the community, if you like. Um, it's just rosemaryconley.com and you can go on it free and there's a whole plethora of everything you need to know about healthy eating, exercise and, and the whole thing. And I do it with my uh, friend and colleague of 30 years, Mary Morris, who's she's the academic um, and I'm the one that writes the books. Um, but it's all very sensible and so on. And we do a weekly newsletter, which again is absolutely free. Uh, and that goes out to thousands of people and it gives them a weekly challenge and so on. And sometimes that's what you need. And there's something about being part of a community, which, of course, is what UCB is all about, your community. And when I go to my classes um, uh, uh, on a Monday night, those people are my friends. Um, and we are that community. I've got, I've got three ladies in my class who are in their 80s, the oldest being 87. And she's doing her aerobics every Monday night. Um, and we so need to have this constant awareness of what can we do to keep us healthy. Mm. And if we're healthier, we're happier. And it's like a positive cycle of goodness. And, and then add into that, obviously, your Christian life. If you are a Christian, um, then, you know, it's, 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 it's the perfect formula mm. and you don't have to do it on your own. So for someone listening who is wanting to get healthier, to be fitter, but struggling to find the motivation, maybe has started but not seen the progress yet. And like you've shared with us, is just consumed by all these choices, the, the lifestyle that means I'm at home a lot more because maybe work's become at home or maybe struggling with a physical ailment that means I'm not able to be as active as I'd like to be. Do you have some more wisdom for us? And I think you mentioned one there that was great is about community. Maybe it's ask some friends or family members to get involved with you for the accountability, but also to do it with you as well. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, there is... Um you can create something like during the, the lockdown period, my classes started a WhatsApp group. And so we communicate on a daily basis. And if it's somebody's birthday, everybody goes on there and wishes them a you know, happy birthday. It makes them feel really special. Somebody's going to the, to the hospital. You know, I'm sure we all wish you know, Sandra you know, a good appointment at the doctors and everybody sort of, oh, best of luck, you know, and so on. Um, and there is this tremendous um, community spirit and that has grown the friendship. So that's an easy one to do uh, if, if that's possible. The other thing to do is to, I think one of the biggest problems is if you're lonely. And I think if you're lonely, then you try if you can to find some kind of a class or a um, 
a night school, something that you've always wanted to do. Um, and it just by going once a week will give you, there's a community there in that class. Oh, hello, Joan. Oh, lovely to see you, you know, and so on. Um, and, and you've suddenly got a focus that every Thursday night you go to whatever it is that you want to go to. Um, and, you know, there may be people that go to, you know, a home study group and so on as part of a church. And it, going to a church obviously does exactly that. But we can't just be within the, the sort of Christian population. We need to go out there and be. And what's been a joy with my class, I keep using my class as an example, because they're just, you know, I've been doing these classes for 50 years. And it's the most amazing leveler because it doesn't matter what you weigh, what you where you live, what your job is, how much money you've got. And it's, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. And that is beautiful. And then you, you, you get closer to people and you understand the challenges. And then you find out the people, you know, there'll be people who say, oh, I've got such and such a problem, really worried about us, and I will pray for you. Yeah. And I have never, ever had somebody say to me, oh, no, don't bother. You know, every, it doesn't matter what the circumstances, whether they have a, you know, a faith or none, they, anybody who's in a bit of a fix will say, oh, thank you. But going back to your, your earlier question, how can you get the motivation to get fitter and healthier when it's not really, you know, you just haven't got it at the moment? Well, the, the thing is to set yourself small goals, small achievable goals. And my f- number one thing would be to say to you, go for a walk first thing in the morning. That's, it's the best way to go because what, what that does, get up a bit earlier. Um, and if you have to break it into three if you're not as able as you might be and you have to break it into three 10-minute mini walks, that's fine. But going for a walk first thing in the morning before you do anything else, it's the only place I go without any makeup, I haven't had a wash or anything, it's straight out of bed, you know, <laughs> completely incognito, hat on, gloves on, the whole thing. And I come back and I feel I'm at peace then. And so if nothing else, if you can go do your early morning walk, that will set you up for the day. Next thing, try and do something every day so that you think, right, today I'm going to ring so-and-so and we'll go for a walk together or we'll go to a class together or we'll go swimming together. Um, and as I mentioned about the rosemaconley.com, there's loads of exercise you can do there in live time. And you could do this thing, well, I will do one of those a day. Uh, and, and there's other things you can do on the internet, of course, you can find. You may have an old video that you've got or DVD that you've got, fitness DVD, and you do that occasionally. And the biggest problem with people I've found is that well, I will need to lose a stone in the next month um, because I'm going on my holiday or I'm going to a wedding and I look like a beach whale at the moment. And I need to do something about it. Well, You've left it a bit late. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but you'd have to be so saving me. You'd have to work so hard. It would be really tough to do it. So it's not the best way to do it. So the, the best way to do it is to think, be realistic and think, right, I want to get myself fitter and healthier. And part of that will be that you will lose some weight. But I was talking to my PA. He's not overweight, but he likes his food. And uh, so he was taking me to uh, somewhere this week and, uh, and he said, oh, well, what we would have been doing tonight, I would have gone for a walk. And so I said, oh, well, if ever it's raining or something, you can just go up and downstairs six times. 
consecutively and that will be equivalent to you walking for 15 minutes because you're really you know you're really putting in some welly to do that that's a good really yeah absolutely so you know we we're so good at making excuses and we mustn't make excuses Mm. if it's amazing you can always test yourself what your willpower would be if you if somebody's life depending on you doing something you do it and, and so it, it's on this scale of one to hemnos, let's say 100, and how badly do you want to do? Are you prepared? I want to, personally, I want to be slim more than I want the cream cake. Why do I want to be slim more than having the cream cake? It's because I hated, hated with a passion being fat. I also have arthritis in my feet. My feet do not want to carry around two shopping bags everywhere I go because putting extra weight on my arthritic feet, it makes no sense. So therefore, I am prepared to put the, I do more exercise now than I'm 75 than I've ever done in my life, because I want to live longer. Every day now is so precious. I want to live every day to the full. The time has just slipped by, Rosemary. I will mention the website again, as Rosemary shared. It is rosemaryconley.com for all those fantastic videos. There's loads of blogs. There's helpful advice, top tips on, you know, how to be active, how to find that happiness in your life. And the book that is out now, published by SPCK, is called Through Thick and Thin. But Rosemary Conley, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Life Issues podcast. Thank you, Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And a special thanks to Rachel Gillies, who helped produce this week's Life Issues podcast. 